You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to the 42 cast, your ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness, and everything. As always, I'm your host, Nathan, and we have another great episode lined up for you where we're going to interview a member of our cast with Eric Ratcliffe. Yeah, so I decided a while back, uh, because I was thinking about the schedule and I was thinking about the kinds of shows that we've done, and even though we've done the kind of get to know the cast kind of episodes where, you know, we just have a few people together, we all ask each other questions. I feel like while that gives you some insight into what we think about certain geeky topics that we ask each other, it's still not uh, as in-depth as it could be. So I started thinking we could, I mean, also it was kind of part of like with episode 100, how I was able to talk to Rachel and Ryan and Beth one-on-one and we had those sessions also but I just kind of thought and this would be kind of nice to do with just everyone in the cast you know it doesn't have to be the people who have been with me since the beginning and so just threw it open Eric was the first one to respond there are actually a lot of people that responded so we'll probably be doing a lot of these over the coming year but Eric was the first one that responded so I said okay let's have Eric be the first And so that's what we're going to do. And so that's our episode coming up. In other news, not a whole lot's changed. We're still watching shows, keeping up with Stargirl and Supergirl. Pretty happy with Stargirl this season so far. Not super happy with Supergirl. Frankly, it's become the John Cryer show. And when John Cryer has been absent for most of the season, it's a problem. I know he's going to be back at least for the last episode. I'm hoping he's back for more than that. Hope they give him six, seven, eight episodes, whatever, at the end there. Well, I guess actually eight's pretty much the limit because of where they are in the season. That's the best case scenario. Not really liking where the last episode as of this recording took things. I feel like they're trying to cram way too much character development in for characters right at the end of the series. And it's problematic. And I feel like they just need to kind of cut their losses there so that they can give a story that actually matters rather than just doing all these little character pieces where it's like, That's nice and all, guys, but you squandered all your opportunities in previous seasons to do any of this, so let's not try to cram it all in at the end at the expense of telling a really awesome story, so we'll see. But certainly with the way that they've handled Mixie Spitlick, and I I don't even know why we're going back to those characters, because they've screwed up, they keep screwing up, and while it's not as horrible as it was in the beginning with fifth dimensional beings and all that, it's, it's pretty bad. (laughs) but yeah so and we're still watching the expanse we're watching continuum just saw chaos walking so that's what we're doing right now but yeah otherwise i mean other than evaluating the schedule with a more critical eye and trying to really look at when things are going to come out obviously i get surprises like this you know i was surprised to find out that star trek discovery is coming back in november which caused me to reorder what I had planned for the release schedule because obviously I want to have the Star Trek Discovery Season 3 episode out before Season 4 premieres in November. So I'm always going to get surprised by things like that when they announce a show returning on a streaming service because they're not regular. Like, you know, in all the CW shows, they always premiere either in the fall or the spring or the summer at set times. So I know when they're going to premiere, but yeah, streaming shows can just sneak up on you like that. But anyway, I'm, I'm doing that to try and just improve, you know, not the release schedule, the release frequency, I should say, has improved. I'm trying to improve just the overall presentation of the podcast, so keep watching this space for that. 
I should also mention that Legendary Forces has debuted. I don't think I've mentioned that yet on the show. I've talked about it at the end of the show several times as something that's coming soon. So the first episode is out. It's part one of a three-parter, basically, because it's sort of our introductory episode. And so we took a long time at the beginning sort of introducing ourselves, talking about our Star Wars backgrounds, answering a few questions about Star Wars. And looking at the length of the episode, we decided to cut it into three pieces because we're trying to keep Legendary Forces at a much shorter length. So we answer all those questions, then we talk about A New Hope, and then we talk about the novelization and the comic book adaptation of A New Hope. So we're kind of just encapsulating all of that initial, both the initial movie and the novelization and the comic book that came out at the same time. And then we're going to move on to the expanded media that came out in the, uh, in the 70s after the movie premiered. So if that sounds interesting to you, check it out. We're certainly having fun doing it. But yeah, without further ado then, we are going to pause for a promo from another fine podcast, and then we will be talking to Eric Ratcliffe. How did watchdog groups with no experience in television take a controlling interest on Saturday morning television? When did Wonder Woman make her animated debut? Want to know why there were two competing Ghostbuster shows? How Atari changed the Saturday morning landscape. How did networks compete over similar genres at the same time? Find out all of this and more on the Best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast. A proud member of the ESO Network. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. See this? This is my boomstick. Good morning, sunshine, away from the sun hits the sky. Look up the sounds that surround the tea you died. She waits for me outside a hole in the ground. And we're back. And like I mentioned at the top of the show, we have with us today, Eric Ratcliffe. So Eric, welcome back to the 42 cast. Always a pleasure to be here, my friend. (laughs) So how have things been going for you in the last, I don't know, however many weeks it's been since you were on the show? I don't even know when the last episode was that I was on. I know we recorded like a month or two back, but I forgot what it was. <laughs> yeah, no, I was trying to remember too what the last one was, and I couldn't remember off the top of my head. It's going to bother me now that I can't. Were you on the it. Black Lightning episode? <laughs> no, no, I, I didn't get to do the Black Lightning episode because um, I'm still... I haven't watched any of uh, that last season yet. I'm oh, still bummed okay. out that it's gone, but... Yeah, no, yeah. Okay, but yeah, I don't, I don't remember what it is. It's not really that important. But yeah, how have you been doing? doing okay <laughs> well, that's good nothing nothing too uh exciting everything's been back on track i'm still not to break the fourth wall too much but while listening to Nate, nate's intro about booking guests and i'm sure we'll get into it because you know fellow podcaster it's like booking guests what what is that i've never <laughs> dealt with that before <laughs> hey i'm on a three-week consecutive for uh i just i haven't booked anybody i'm i'm trying to get tim seeley because he's in the middle of a middle of um hack slash volume two's kickstarter right now so i'm trying Mm. to uh trying to get him back on the show it's been forever since we got the chance to uh talk well not on twitter but it's uh trying to get him but three weeks three consecutive weeks and they were very good conversations we're on a we're on episode 250 of why i love comics should be way more than that but it's uh it's one of those things where you know certain things get the get the better of you <laughs> oh yeah no like if i had been releasing weekly since i started the show i would be in the 200s now so yeah no i get it things come up and then the release schedule goes by the wayside and so yeah i mean it's been more regular this year than it's ever been and so i'm hoping to keep that momentum going but i totally get it yeah and, and it would probably really like hurt me deeply if i ever tried to count what my success ratio is on booking <laughs> <laughs> i know that struggle extremely because for well, every person me. i get there are like 50 <laughs> i've contacted that i either never heard back from or got a thanks but no thanks so you know it's uh <laughs> yeah it's a rough world out there but anyway it's a little bit different interviewing somebody that i actually know because you know i usually don't <laughs> i usually don't like ask like how they're doing and stuff like you know right off the bat But yeah, so let's start the actual interview. 
So yeah, just starting off just for some background kind of stuff, Eric, whereabouts did you grow up? Oh, New England. Nothing, nothing too exciting on the grow, growing up part. It's just uh, another uh, another New Englander who uh, is mistaken for a Canadian sometimes for some reason. <laughs> I don't I don't know why, because I don't have an accent. And maybe it's because of how polite and friendly I am. I, I don't know. But <laughs> so people actually mistake you for being from Canada. It's happened more than once. Five times, but more than once. <laughs> Okay, interesting. So, yeah, like, when you were growing up, what were the things that could be anything like TV, movies, comics, books? But what were the things that were sort of like your creative, your go-tos, the things that sort of stimulated you creatively? Well, so I was born in 87, so Mm. there's certain things that, like... When whenever like you you me and Sean get together, you can easily tell right. right off the bat. I mean, like I literally grew up on on that on that very specific era of um of cart of cartoon Saturday morning stuff where like mm. you had you had the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, you you had X Men the X Men nineties animated series, you had Batman the animated series, you had the Disney Afternoon, you had. Like you had all this stuff. Uh, I was very lucky enough where I want to say the first time I saw the original Star Wars trilogy was maybe when I was five or six. So like mm-hmm. right away, my brain like I, I was also a huge next generation. Like I was always a big fan of uh, Jordy and mm-hmm. and Data and like obviously always love Picard. But like as a kid, I was always a big like Jordy and Data Data guy. Which was funny because I think half of that is the fact that, you know, I grew up on the era that reading Rainbow was huge. So it's like, that's why I was such a big Jordy LaForge fan is because it's like, it's like, hey, reading Rainbow. Awesome. Nice. <laughs> they even had an episode. I love that episode where he's actually on the uh, set for Star Trek showing off uh, things to viewers. Hmm. I think people take for granted the fact that like, to a certain extent, Burton in the 90s was very much almost like almost on par with someone like Mr. Rogers. Like that's one of those things I look back on and I go, people don't realize just how prominent like reading Rainbow was to a lot of us. Like reading Rainbow, Ghost Rider on PBS, uh, like there's so much stuff that I can look back on and be like, this is what made me into an avid reader, not even just straight up comic books, but like novels and like prose and like I've always been like an Edgar Allan Poe fan I've always been Mm. a Sir Arthur Conan Doyle fan Douglas Adams work has inspired me heavily like there's so much stuff that I can think of like Mm. and I'm sure like I said I'm sure we'll we'll get into it but like I'm sure people have figured out just how crazy my brain works if you see certain like arcs of new comic day and see like some of the stuff that gets thrown in there (laughs) Because it's like, my brain is weird. <laughs> like, you can see all the inspirations. Like, Farscape was huge. Mm. What was the weird, not Sea Lab 2021, but the, the one with the dolphin? Oh, Sequest. Sequest. Right. Yep. Sequest was huge. I watched plenty of sliders. I was a, mm. I was a huge Jerry McConnell fan because of sliders back in the day. I mean, there's, there's a crazy amount of stuff I can think of just from my childhood alone that, like, you can you can tell because of all the different stuff I'm into nowadays is just like even pop culture back then. I mean, I, we didn't have I mean, when I was like 13, 14, we were on dial up Internet, but it's still like I grew up on I grew up with at the same time that the Internet was growing up. If that mm-hmm. if that makes sense to a certain extent. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, you're a few years behind me as far as age. And so, yeah, it's kind of interesting because a lot of those things you mentioned are things that are part of my life, too. But for instance, like reading Rainbow was something that came after me. Like for me, PBS in my memory was just Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers, right? Like that's all it was. I didn't have any of that other stuff that sort of came later. I obviously grew up on Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers and basically all of Jim Henson's work because I was at a young enough age where I think... I think I was fully aware that here's this prominent creative voice who passed away way too soon. But, you know, like I grew up on that where the magic was still there. Mm -hmm. But because of how old I was, I was able to register that. Yes, this this person has passed away. And I think like even at a young age, I was kind of obsessed with the behind the scenes stuff just as much as I was as the magic. Mm. 
are you old enough that there was a way to watch Fraggle Rock or was that like done before you were able to watch Fraggle Rock? stuff? Yeah, Fraggle Rock. Oh, yeah. No, I was dude. I was huge on Fraggle Rock because uh, okay. that was that was that age of uh, Eureka's Castle, Fraggle Rock and like. I forget what other stuff was on Nickelodeon at the time because there was so much different stuff. That's that's Saturday morning cartoons because you had mm-hmm. uh, real monsters, Rugrats, in uh, some of those, some of the the ones that have fallen by the way wayside, like Kablam. Um, there's just so much stuff that's fallen by the wayside that people forget about from the earlier days of Nick. Like all that probably affected my comedy side more than like all that and the Amanda show were probably more prom as prominent as Saturday Night Live, especially the earlier stuff. Cause I mean, to get more long winded with my answer to the question, I apologize. Sure. Cause I was just no, no, it's fine. as much of a comedy nerd as I was a comic book and like comic book and science fiction nerd. Mm-hmm. So like I was watching those cool Andy Kaufman documentaries. I was watching old saturday night live i was watching all this crazy stuff on comedy central when i was like 11 12 13 i mean i was probably watching kids in the hall way before i should have been watching kids in the hall mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah i mean like you kind of mentioned quite a few things in there so you mentioned comics about how old were you when you got into comics and what were sort of like your favorite comics growing up i remember vividly reading the uh Odd saga mm-hmm. as a kid like I'm talking the tie-ins. I'm talking prominently when they were still selling comic books in a grocery store in the Mm mid-90s. I can remember vividly reading like tie-in issues and seeing what was happening with the human torch in the middle of middle of the onslaught madness or like something happening with Franklin Richards. And like that's a first vivid memory. Though I was talking yesterday. I was probably like nine, eight or nine, maybe. And there was a flea market in the center of town. And there was a huge, probably like 35, 40 issues of John Burns run of uh, Thing comic books. Mm. So during his Fantastic Four run, obviously, he had the spinoff for the thing. And he was writing that just as long, just as just as much as he was writing Fantastic Four. So I remember vividly picking those up and falling in love with Ben Grimm as a character right off the bat this is and obviously that was years before the onslaught stuff but that mm-hmm. was reading just as reading that just about the same time as i was reading all that all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and then when i was a little older it was like jumping into the middle of like trying to th- jumping into the middle of uh mutant x is one i've always mm-hmm. held close to my heart because uh I've, I've always been a huge Havoc fan, thanks to Mutant X. We don't talk about the TV show because it has nothing to do with how right. cool Howard, Howard's amazing comic book was. It's like, oh, so you love sliders, right? Let's take Havoc and throw him into an, into an alternate Marvel universe that is insane. <laughs> That's the best way I can put that. It is insane. Yeah, I remember Mutant X. That was about the time I was getting out of comics, but I did get that far. So, yeah, like besides Havoc, who are some of your favorite comic characters? Uh, yeah, so we got Ben Grimm, you got Havoc, you got Hawkeye, obviously. I think you and I have, have talked at great length about my boy Hawkeye. <laughs> November 24th, yay! I'm so excited. But um, let's see, Havoc, uh, Hawkeye, Ben Grimm. I've always been a fan of Wally West because I grew up on a person I still want to talk to one of these days is Michael Rosenbaum because his flash, his version of Wally is what I grew up on like a lot, like 13, 14 at the time. But it's still one of those things that I was like, oh, this is this is awesome. And, you know, it was Wally because, you know, Wally's been the flash for 30 some odd years before DC decided that whole thing. I love Ted Cord. Ted Cord. I love Blue Beetle and Booster Gold. I'm a Green Lantern fan. Green Lantern was my first tattoo. All right. Specifically, which Green Lantern? I lean towards Hal, which I know is surprising, especially for my age. But because I do love I do love I do love Kyle. Mm -hmm. But I lean towards Hal because I came I came back to the Green Lantern uh, the same time that Rebirth was happening. And Mm -hmm. we we talked about that. People can listen to the uh, Green Lantern episode of the 42 cast because I believe I did talk about that a little bit. Mm hmm. Yeah, any other I'm sorry, I did interrupt you to ask you specifically which Green Lantern is there are there any other I love the shade because I was a huge fan of James Robinson's uh Starman. 
So I love Jack Knight and the Shade. Uh, Madman. I mean, I have a lot of Deadpool, obviously. Uh, the, the Riddler, uh, but more the modern Paul Dini Riddler. More so than like the... Uh, I'm, I'm willing to give the mo- new movie a shot because he's it looks more and more like he's going to be a Saw-esque serial killer. But I'm like, okay, we'll, we'll see what they do. I, I love Paul Dano, so we'll see what we do, what they do there. He's not straight up a comic book character, but Darkwing Duck. <laughs> I'm starting in the blank because there's so many. There are so many characters I love, but like the core for me has always been like the uh, the very underrated. That's why like. Havoc is a better summer's brother. I do love Nightwing, but my favorite my favorite bat character is definitely Tim Drake. Mm. I always love the underrated characters or Stephanie Brown. Spoiler, but she's my bat girl. <laughs> All right, yeah, no, and I think Dark Darkwing Duck is totally valid. <laughs> oh yeah. It was stuff like oh, yeah. Darkwing Duck that got me. I mean, like it was I mean, it, I've said before it's the X-Men cartoon that really got me into comics, but I mean like Darkwing Duck kind of primed me before we had any actual comic book stuff in the 90s on TV. You know, we had Darkwing Duck before any of that. Oh, that'll that'll always be one of my favorite episodes of my podcast is talking to Tad Stones for 2 hours. Love that man. He's awesome. <laughs> Darkwing Duck's creator, for those that don't know. No, that's really cool. But yeah, so as you were growing up, like, what what was your sort of ambition as far as, like, what you wanted to do out of college or out of high school? And even before, well, (laughs) in high school, I feel like it changed a lot. There was a point Mm. where I did want to train to become a professional wrestler. But then I'm like, yeah, this that's not going to happen. I have in the back of my head always wanted to be a comic book writer. I even wrote a letter to Marvel at one point. Never heard back, obviously, but still. I grew up kind of religious, so there was a point where I almost went to uh, went to seminary, but that's a mm. whole whole another can of worms. <laughs> sure, no, I mean, I was just asking mostly to see, like, you know, like, like, like when you mentioned, like, being a comic book writer, which of course kind of segues into some other things. I mean, I did, I did also want to be an actor at one point. Mm. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, that those are kind of related skills, I think, sort of writing and, and acting, you know, in some ways. But yeah, so I mean, at what point did you decide I want to write my own webcomic and produce that? Oh, yeah, I forget you. You don't know the history history when it comes to New Comic Day. So the, not at all. The very beginning of the New Comic Day. Well, actually, we'll jump back in time completely because we're talking uh, about almost almost 13 years at this point. So back in 2008 was my first New York Comic Con, and I met I met my buddy uh, Russell Burlingham uh, of ComicBook.com nowadays. But uh, I met him at Forbidden Comics in the the heart of uh, New York City um, before going to the actual convention, and we hit it off really well. And then he was like, "Oh yeah, uh, I'm going to the con as well." And then I met his boss my very my now very good friend who i haven't been able to talk to in forever but uh chuck moore the owner of comicrelated.com, which sadly no longer exists but on the forums on comicrelated.com for about about a year give or take uh, i'd been communicating with with another uh, creator his name um bill glad and he he goes hey we should because we have these completely completely opposite views when it comes to the entertainment we consume we should write a webcomic where it's the two of us butting heads because we at the time and probably still because sadly i haven't talked to bill in forever but um so he goes we should write a webcomic and there's about uh, about 30 years give or take between us so those first two years of new comic day you'll kind of see us arguing over you know like me with the more modern stuff and him with the classic stuff and it's very much as we always called it, clerks meets loons. But back then, it was much more the two of us bouncing back and forth, different different comic book arguments. Mm. It wasn't until I pitched the idea of out of nowhere, Eric steals the uh, Batmobile dress as uh, dress as Blue Beetle for no apparent reason, <laughs> and the rest, as we say, is history because we've been going, like I said, almost almost thirteen years at this point because it was back in two thousand nine, July. Oh, wow, I'm gonna blank. July 9th? I might have to correct myself later, but I'm pretty sure July 9th of 2009 is when the very first trip hit. Oh wow, that's really impressive to be going for that long. 
That's very cool. So where does the podcast fit in on the timeline? Did you, did you start the webcomic first and then you started the podcast or did the podcast come about the same time or a little bit earlier? I'm trying to, because I was writing, I was writing the column version of why I love comics mm. before it ever became a podcast. And then because of our schedules, um, Chuck wanted to get more hands on and he was like, Hey, we should do it as a, um, we should do it as a podcast. So what people won't, won't ever hear because i think the the original version of the podcast is kind of lost to time sadly but it was originally chuck and i and then brant fowler and our our other friend uh john wilson they ended up joining us as well but it was uh going over the week's comic books what our mm. highlights were what the worst books were it was a very different podcast and then at one point a whole bunch of different stuff was going on and i took over full full control self-taught myself how to use audacity how to record the podcast which took me forever to learn and just like all these different different things and i started doing it as a comic book conversation show or a pop culture conversation show where it's mm -hmm. much more free form depending on who i have on there are the episodes where i'll have a panel on and we'll be discussing certain uh certain topics a little a little bit different than obviously what you do with the 42 cast but it was right. it was one of those things where it's like learning on the fly because like perfect example like i was saying i i learned how to edit my own show but i also as of i think it was strip 303 or 304 is i started actually lettering new comic day myself so for the last we're on what are we on 410 right now because i gotta as soon as we as soon as we're done talking tonight, I'm gonna edit. It's either four ten or four eleven. We're on at this point, so a little over a hundred strips. I've been uh, lettering the strip myself now too. So it's all about like learning on the fly and figuring out things for myself and kind of taking a more hands-on approach to certain things. And it's, I think, it's rewarding over time. Yeah. So, like, what have been the biggest challenges for you in doing both the comic and the podcast? Losing files. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that could be a problem. I've lost at least three podcasts, mm. and there's about 60 strips. 60, it's either 45, it's between 45 and 60 strips that I still had to re-letter because of an old laptop dying, mm. and I wasn't using a handy-dandy uh, external uh, hard drive yet, so uh, everything was on that laptop, and I lost it. Oh yes, all the yes. Strips. My 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 external hard drive is right here in a drawer right next to me. So I know, I know all about that. <laughs> Did you ever forget to hit the record button in the first place? For maybe like the first 10, 15 minutes, but right. other than that, not like not like a whole show. Yeah, no, okay. Yeah, it's the same with if me. I can, if I can go back to the to the Tad Stones interview before that. One of the reasons I think so fondly of this man and why I think he's one of the nicest people ever is I was having nothing but tech issues for two hours and he waited patiently for me to figure it all out. Mm. The very first interview I did with Tyler James of um, Comics Tribe, uh, I was blanking on the name, um, that took me forever. So like when I first took over full control and was figuring out how to like, I was using Skype call recorder, uh, mm. which was very finicky when I mm -hmm. first was learning how to use it. Uh, it's just, it's those types of things. Like my lettering program that I would actually recommend, especially to like casual people who want to like do their own web comics or, you know, their own comic books in general. Mm. Uh, there's this program called comic life three. That if you if you Google it, you'll be able to find it. It's fantastic. It's just like you're lettering like no problems, especially if you know you have a very small background in graphic arts, like I like I do. <laughs> so yeah. what I went to I went to a trade school for gra visual well graphic arts and then college for visual communication and design. I mean, I'm using them for my fun for the fun stuff. It's not the day job, but I'm using it for all fun stuff. <laughs> I don't have Photoshop, which I definitely need. One of these days, hopefully sooner rather than later, I still want to put together the uh, hardcover of the first 10 years of the webcomic. But it's mm. just a lot of this is really learning the technical side of things and going from there. I think one of my worst flaws is kind of sitting on the file. Days, and it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll get I'll get to it instead of right instead of right away or, you know, right off the top. It's just like, oh, yeah, three days later. 
oh, hey, I should put that together. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so, you know, you had mentioned, you know, obviously that they're, you know, you're doing this because you feel it's a rewarding, you know, experience, because I'm sure there's a lot of time associated with both working on the webcomic and the podcast. So why do you do like, what are the rewards that you're getting from doing it? I just, I don't know. I like, especially when it comes to the, so when it comes to the podcast side of things, I do enjoy getting to like know people. Like I just had Chris and Kyle from uh, the six sidekicks of Trigger Keaton, which is a fantastic image slash skybound book. And I really, really like to get to know to pe- get to know people, especially if I have never met them before, you know, like maybe had a very brief conversation at a convention where it's like, Mm -hmm. Oh, this person seems cool. Let me reach back out, see if I can uh, talk to them at length. And that's the kind of stuff that I try to achieve with the podcast. And then the web comic is especially depending on strip by strip basis. I never really see too much engagement, which always bumps me up. But then Mm -hmm. like, I'll go to a convention and someone will laugh at some dumb joke that I've put together and it just, it kind of makes my day. And it's, it's crazy to look back at how long I've been doing it now. Cause it's like, um, two, two years in and I've, I've definitely talked about this before, but I know for a fact you and I haven't talked to, about this before. So I, this is, it's about 2010. And I think it was my first, it was definitely my first time tabling at a show. I think it was my second, either my second or my third Boston comic-con I come home that night, the last night of the convention. I come home, check my, and I have an email from from Bill going, "Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to do this anymore." Mm. So it was one of those things where it was like, "Oh, cool. Let me convince everybody to stick with me for a little longer." And that's it's kind of why, like, I always call years four and four and five the repilot because the third year we were still trying to do some stuff with the care with Bill's comic book version as well as like kind of start to breach out a little bit more but it was kind of like there were either 12 or si- yeah it was 12 12 strips 12 scripts that i put together to kind of outline where we would where things would change and kind of kind of branch off to see you know to show people that show chad and show show brant at the time and i think lisa was still working with us maybe Alyssa. it was either Alyssa or uh, lisa still working with us where it was like hey we can still do this just because bill bill's gone doesn't mean we don't have we don't have to stop and then jim gallo came in for year four or most of year four and that's where you definitely see like a lot of the changes in the strip where it's like suddenly you're seeing more people whether it be like chuck moore or or even brant showing up or like or one of the more popular ones. Oh, Thanos is on your couch. Okay. <laughs> and, yeah. and the rest, as they say, is history. It's very much uh, almost almost mystery science theater-ish to a certain extent. But like you also have that where you go from the reader of these things to suddenly very much interacting with these worlds that you're now a part of it's like that you've not only shattered the fourth wall you've gone oh no i'm i'm part of these stories now they're not going to get rid of me anytime soon (laughs) (laughs) so what would you say are your biggest creative influences on new comic day none of these will be surprising well actually one of them will be because this come this comes in my writing in general the last name i'll mention but uh douglas adams jim butcher i know that that one's Probably one of the more surprising ones, but I love Dresden Files. It's always been a huge inspiration to me, Jim Butcher. I met him 2008, 2009. I forget which New Year Comic Con. Nice guy. Really awesome. I think I have either seventh or eighth Dresden Files book signed by him. They're all right next to me, actually. Kevin Smith has always been huge on me creatively. Like Dogma is one of my favorite movies ever. Clerks the Animated Series. When you want to talk about inspirations, Clerks the Animated Series has always been a huge inspiration to me. The animated series gets no love, and I absolutely love Clerks the Animated Series. It's so good. So good. Only six episodes, but they're all so good. Everybody everybody always talks, like when you hear people talking about Alec Baldwin, they're like, 30 Rock, 30 Rock. And it's like, no, go go listen to him. (laughs) Listen to his performances on Clerks the Animated Series. Oh God, the kid in the helmet. Yes. Look at him. 
<laughs> so good. But no, um, Kevin. So Kevin's Kevin Smith. Oh, I, I'm sorry. I just want to interject. Ahead. My wife and I, we can just look at each other, and I'll be like, "Let's make a movie," and she knows what I'm talking about. So. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever see the um, quick tangent uh, before I continue listing off other inspirations in the most surprising one? Mm-hmm. Did you ever see on the 10th anniversary DVD for Clerks? Do you ever see the eight minute scene they put together using the Clerks the animated series animation style? It's the no. scene where they go to the funerals that they uh, that they hint at inside of the movie. Oh, OK. It's it's a very, very interesting scene. It's like an eight minute long scene that was like a deleted scene. But they use they use animated to tell the story. Nice. But no, um, let's see. Weird Al's always been an inspiration, just mm. comedy wise. Um, but no, the most surprising one in this, this man has always been a huge, huge inspiration to me to the point that I thankfully get to ha- talk to him for a half hour on comics ages ago. But I read his autobiography when I was probably like 13, 12 or 13. Like the original copy of his autobiography I have is falling apart. I had to get a new copy for him to sign. But uh, that would be uh, Mick Foley. Mick Foley always been a huge inspiration on me oh very cool i've always i've i've been a nerd pretty much the entire time i've been an everything else nerd but like i grew up on the the, uh attitude era was coming together obviously you know stone cold the rock mcfoley huge one to me is hurricane helms i know i'm probably most of most of this is french to you i know nate i know you're not a big wrestling guy but (laughs) But no, Mick Mick Foley, who I'm sure you at least know in passing because of all the stuff he's done just as much, you know, The Rock or Roddy Piper and like those guys. I mean, oh, another another man, another guy, John Carpenter, easily hmm. like I can, two of my favorite movies of all time. My top three favorite movies are oh, um, oh Bruce Campbell's another name now that I'm thinking about it, because hmm. Army of Darkness is my number one favorite movie of all time. Army of Darkness. Big Trouble in Little China, and They Live. Those are my three favorite movies of all time. Those will always be the top three on the, like, I couldn't even put together a 10 list. It would have to be like a 25 list, but like, those are the top three. But if it's influence, then wouldn't Army of Darkness be more Sam Raimi than Bruce Campbell? No, because it's it's more Bruce's performance than Sam's script, in my opinion. No, okay. No, fair enough. I mean, I was just asking because I'm like, creatively it's sam raimi's movie right but you're right i mean bruce campbell is a huge performance within that movie it's ash's character and i guess it's not even just ash because like i'll look at growing up in the 90s you know i had italicus i had Mm -hmm. we've (laughs) oh that's the last that's uh underrated shows or like shows that only lasted two or three seasons that's the last episode i was on right but no uh italicus jack of all trades Briscoe County, like all these Bruce Bruce performances over the years. I mean, even even into the uh, 2000s, I could list more and more. But no, it's he's always been like a huge, prominent, prominent force mm-hmm. creatively for me. It's what it's one of those types of types of deals. Yeah, Bubba Hotep. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so sort of broadening out into you know sort of general pop culture and stuff like that. What are the things that interest you now? Like, what are the what are what is the media you consume? That is a very valid question. Uh, I've obviously been watching all these Marvel shows. I watch probably way too much stuff on YouTube. I have subscriptions that are crazy on YouTube. I'm reading a lot of comic books again because I've been three or four months now been reading weekly again. Hmm. And what are the comics that you read? Oh, a little bit of everything. Marvel, DC, Image, Boom. Frank Ogle was another guy that I talked to very recently. He did the uh, Edge of Darkness uh, one shot, which was the uh, Phantom Ranger from the Power Rangers and kind of giving a little bit of his origins. But no, Power Rangers is fantastic. Uh, I'm loving a lot of the uh, the crossover stuff with the Turtles and Power Rangers and Transformers and Ghostbusters was a really fun crossover. I still love that. But I'm trying to think of what I've been consuming, I love the Bad Batch because I'm, I'm a Star Wars nerd. Mandalorian brought my love of Star Wars back, though I did like some of the stuff in the modern trilogy. Last Jedi, obviously, be of the three, which I know controversial. 
yeah, you cut out a lot of the casino, much stronger movie. Anyways. <laughs> yeah, that's a movie that needed just like a much like stronger editing hand on. And I think that oh, we, yeah. like like a lot of people would have liked it a lot more. I will ar- always argue with people that for all the hate that film gets, they got Frank Oz back. End of story. End of story. There is no other argument there. It's like, I'm sorry. If a filmmaker can get Frank Oz to come back, who hasn't been a puppeteer in decades, who basically was like, I'm I'm done with Yoda. I'm, I'm not doing any any of the Henson productions anymore. To suddenly get him back, restore, well, make a new puppet out of the original molds and just do the stuff they did with Yoda. I will always argue that with people. I'll be like, just just give it the chance. Watch those scenes and you're going to understand you can tell they brought they brought back Frank's love for it. And that's why you look at the Mandalorian and it's like, hey, Gorgu. And it's like, oh, okay, you can see where the homages to Westerns and all this are. Bad Batch is fantastic. I really love Loki. The fact that we're getting the multiverse stuff and just going to see this chaos reign, especially now that What If is coming out, which I don't I don't think people are are really understanding what they're about to do with What If. But if they're doing what I think they're doing, it's going to be crazy. In the best possible ways. I'm trying to think. What else have I? Good Omens is really good on uh, on Amazon Prime. It's fantastic. It's uh, it's based on the Neil Gaiman and and uh, Terry. Is it Pratchett? Yeah, Pratchett. Why am I? Bl- yeah, it's the, it's the based on the actual novel, and it's David Tennant and um. Oh wow, I'm gonna blank on his name. David Tennant and and, and the guy he works with. They're fantastic. Um. But I'm trying to think of like more recent stuff. Obviously, I mentioned The Bad Batch, which if people haven't seen, they really should check it out. It's a fantastic Star Wars story where you're not just following random Jedi or like anybody like that. It's just these defective clone troopers who at the end of the war are pretty much like kind of they're the A-team of the Star Wars universe, pretty much. <laughs> That's the best way I can think to describe it. But um, uh, what else have I been watching? A lot of I'd have to look through stuff because right now i'm blanking um because <laughs> there's obviously a lot of good stuff yeah no i was just yeah i was just curious about the kinds of stuff that you're you know that you're watching or reading now you know that kind of stuff i can't help but notice though as we're talking you have a wall behind you of funko pops pretty much it looks you like from floor it. to ceiling <laughs> <laughs> no not floor uh there's a desk there okay. <laughs> there's a desk right behind the bed frame <laughs> yeah, so do you have anything specific you collect with Funko or is it just like anything you like and if it's a Funko you buy it or or and then what other kinds of things do you collect? So when it comes to collecting, Funko wise, it really is one of those things where it's like I'll go for more of like the exclusives or more very mm. specific franchises or characters. Mm-hmm. I know it's obviously a huge wall back there, but you're gonna be seeing everything from let me turn my head for a moment. <laughs> um like everything from a whole bunch of Deadpools to Spider-Man 2099. You know, I have nice. Spider-Man Noir back there too. Uh, I have four Toy Story aliens, <laughs> two of which are Buzz, Buzz and Zerg, because I love the uh, alien remixes that, that Funko helped uh, put together. I have all, unsurprisingly, I have a whole bunch of Deadpools, Beta Ray Bills back there. Nice. Iron Maiden. I have some Power Rangers stuff, Jim Henson and Guillermo del Toro, Vincent from Black Hole, because obviously <laughs> it's a couple way too many Skeletors. <laughs> I actually have the so talk general collecting. I have that awesome throwback vintage looking uh, Skeletor, but he's mm. in the Japanese box. I, I'm not sure where he is right now. Otherwise, I could grab him to at least show you. But um collecting wise i'm very like particular and sporadic like right next to me i still have in his box and baby yoda slash brogu fell already but i have the chromed uh beskar mandalorian Hmm. right next to me i have this awesome imported uh megazord Hmm. i collect a lot of stuff from this very awesome artist uh jason mckittrick who is a horror themed artist who does a whole bunch of um stuff with um oh wow why can't i think of um but no like uh he has these whole awesome 
Jacqueline's series who work for the sca- who work for uh, Lantern Jack, who has his own mythology behind him. So you have everything from a knight Jacqueline to uh, can I reach business to Jacqueline right now? Oh, I can. Hmm. He's my favorite. I'll show you <laughs> one of my favorites business suit Jacqueline. But they nice. all obviously are all pumpkin Halloween themed, but he has a whole bunch of stuff like he did all he did all the uh all the different uh Mortal Kombat ninjas. But no, like my collection is so random and like I have like a whole bunch of Power Rangers stuff. I have I might have shown you since we were talking, I have a obviously inspired by the Muppets, but not a Muppet. I have a crate from Critters who looks like he's a Muppet. He's one of my favorites. And then uh, I actually have the Infinity Gauntlet up there as well as Grogu and a Porg. I have one of those huge half scale or 116th scale, whatever they're they're called, uh, Raphael from NECA Mm. in his uh, undercover gear. Just a whole bunch of different random stuff. I have two shelves devoted to one shelf devoted to Kingdom Hearts stuff and another shelf mm. devoted to uh, the Lightning Collection for Power Rangers, mm-hmm. as well as some uh, mini plus slash figurize uh, from them, because uh, I have become a huge fan of Tokusatsu stuff. I mean, I'm a huge Godzilla fan knows that, because I have le- legitimately on my arm, I have the Dragon Zord fighting uh, Godzilla himself, so mm-hmm. <laughs> just my collection varies depending on stuff that I either pop up or I'm like, oh, I'm going to pre-order that. Mm-hmm. That kind of stuff. And my reading, this is a tactic because I can go from reading a mainstream superhero book, which is actually tough to destri- describe as a mainstream superhero book because the new Moon Knight is, they have a whole, so in the new Moon Knight comic book, he has this amazing conversation with his therapist where they're flat out tackling theology. And I'm like, this is a mainstream comic book. What, what's happening right now? It's, it's awesome. But no, I can go from reading Moon Knight to, like I said, that Skybound book that's very much in the same vein as like um Tarantino movie almost or, you know, like that kind of stuff. I'm reading now the hardcovers of Jim Zub's awesome Skull Kickers, which is a fantasy D&D-esque type of story about mercenaries that, uh, get into crazy adventures so it really i'm one of those people that like i can't just consume one thing you know what i mean like i can't just laser focus on one thing i'm a comedy nerd i'm a i'm a wrestling nerd uh i'm a science fiction comic books a little bit of everything and i think that helps me overall as a uh, creator just as much as a fan of things because it's just like I'm sure you were going to ask something along these lines, but it's like I can go from writing a strip where it's like uh, the new comic day crew saves Halloween. But it's like at one point you you legitimately have Thanos dressed as a Ghostbuster punching Lord Zed in the face. Where else are you going to find that? <laughs> Right. That that's how my brain works. Like this week's uh, new comic day is Suicide Squad based because I wrote something real quick uh, when Chris and I were talking the other week because I was like, it's you know it's coming out Thursday. I should probably do a theme strip and kind of like get back on the. Uh... So the whole joke is Minion and Eric are hanging out with uh, King Shark, but then like you see other Stallone uh, characters come into the strip, and it may or may not involve bashing uh, Judge Dredd and Rob Schneider. But I plead the fifth. <laughs> My brain is weird, man. My brain is weird. <laughs> well, you 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 said something that I've been kind of hanging on to in the back of my head that you were mentioning your Funko Pops and you mentioned Spider-Man 2099. So are you a fan of the Spider-Man 2099 comic? Oh, yeah. I love Miguel. I, I even love it, love it even more that Miguel in, uh, in Spider-Verse actually. So he shows up at the end mm-hmm. of Spider-Verse and it's actually it was actually... Um, Oscar Isaac, which I thought was a really great touch. It's like you get a big actor like Oscar and you get him to do that. I think Pedro Pascal was uh was in there too. So you got both hmm. of them, but I forget who he played. He I know he played like a very uh Spider-Man, but I can't remember who. Were you a fan of the 2099 line in general or just Spider-Man 2099? Just Spider-Man 2099. Okay. 
I have so much nostalgia for 2099 stuff. Well, I knew of him through the animated stuff first. Mm. And then the more recent Peter David stuff was definitely a, I was definitely a huge fan of because Peter David did a lot of uh, really cool stuff with Miguel more recently when he was in, he was jumping between present day and the, but uh, like Spider, Spider-Man Noir, maybe not specifically the Spider-Verse version, even though I do love what they gave Nicolas Cage to play with, but I love both volumes of the miniseries comic book wise, because it's written by David Hine, who mm. I've you're talking with multiple times in meeting and uh i consider a friend and he wrote a very fantastic series like some of that some of so this was a 2011 2012 when they were doing the whole new art stuff and scott scott snyder his only marvel work so far is this uh fantastic iron man noir which is basically tony stark going full Indiana Jones and it's so much fun. Hmm. I highly recommend people check it out because it's it's well worth the read. It's only four issues, but it's it's Scott Snyder before he became the Batman guy for a good six, seven years. Oh very cool. Engines. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean we've been talking about New Comic Day and why I love comics and all that. So why don't you for anyone who's been listening to this and they're kind of interested mentioned like what is your i don't know like 30 second pitch for each one why should you read new comic day why should you listen to why i love comics so for people um if you want to check out a very cool conversation show which isn't normally your your normal type of interview show it's much more of wise if you want to know people like tad stones or doug tad stones doug jones Brian Michael Bendis, Claudio Sanchez. I used to talk to every single New York Comic Con. If you want to know these people on a much more personal level instead of just, you know, like straight up, why did you do this with this character? This is the type of podcast you want to listen to because uh, I really pride myself on the fact that like I get to just have much more casual, relaxed conversations with these people. Hell, I made I made Michael Rooker laugh at the idea of voicing Rocket Raccoon about a year before we found out that he was playing Yondu. So that's, it might've been an only 15 minute interview, but I made Michael Rooker laugh at that idea. So I'm still proud of that to this day. And then new comic day wise, if you've heard what it would be like to be a comic book nerd who may or may not wake up one morning and find a mad God of Titan living on his couch and what he would do because this is the webcomic for you. If you if you've ever wondered what would happen if someone found the Necronomicon on their doorstep or decided to pick a fight with Lex Luthor without superpowers or get into a snowball fight with Bobby Drake, you can find all that and much, much more when it comes to New Comic Day. And we are about to go into a arc where Eric decides to in, not invade one of my decides to crash the uh, hellfire gala which was an awesome story that ran through the uh, x-men books just about a month month and a half ago so if you want to see if you want to see more payoff to uh something that happened with Magdi recently you uh you'll want to check that out because it's uh it's very fun <laughs> awesome so what's next for eric you got this webcomic, you got this podcast, you know, like, are there things that you've got planned for both of them, things next level you want to take them? Are there any other projects that you're working on? Like, where are you going from here? Like I said, I am hopefully planning on sooner rather than later putting together that nice big hardcover. I have to get a new copy of Photoshop or even Illustrator, one of the two, to kind of like put everything together. And then I have a printer bookmarked that I was seeing pretty good uh, price rates on i probably won't try kickstarter again i failed at kickstarter the first time we tried it but mm. it happens and i like i said i had three in a row of interviews on why i love comics so i've been very slowly getting it back on track finally getting the better of my lovely depression <laughs> which was half of the issue of uh it's like oh nobody ever responds that's because your email keeps going into people's spam folders and just finding this out now <sighs> Don't you love when that happens? But um, yeah. no, just getting that back on track and it would be nice to get back onto the convention scene, but I don't know when that'll be. Hopefully sooner rather than later. But yeah, I'm not sure. 
because I feel like, oh, I mean, I do, I am ahead schedule wise, and Scott and Chris are both working on very different comic book days, so a new comic day. So I'm trying to, uh, trying to get us ahead by at least three, four months. So I'll probably script some more stuff within this next couple weeks. So we'll see. And yeah, just trying to get everything back on track when it comes to the podcast. But other than that, living day by day, no real, I don't want to say no real ambitions, but no real, like, you know what I mean? Like no real, uh, yeah, nothing, nothing really concrete at the moment. Yeah, no, I get that. I get that for sure. Yeah. You know, you have a cat too, that, you know, people might've heard (laughs) little bits and pieces from. So yeah, for, for animal lovers out there, why don't you say (laughs) what's your cat's name and you know, how long have you had her? Mimi. <laughs> uh, three years, a little over three years. Mimi, named after uh, the awesome Avenger, known as Songbird. For those that don't know, <laughs> but she's but she's a Thunderbolt, yeah. But she's also an Avenger. I will fight anybody. <laughs> Avengers forever, people. Read it. Nice. I had no idea she was named after Songbird. <laughs> that is really oh, yeah. cool. So yeah, are you a cat lover in general? Oh yeah. Yeah. Animal lover in general, not just cats or dogs, but I lean towards cats, I guess. <laughs> I've always sure. had cats, but we've always we've also always had dogs. Gotcha. No, that's very cool. Yeah, I know. I've seen Mimi before, but I just figured, you know, <laughs> it's a general interest question. You know, people might want to know. But yeah, like like you mentioned before, interviews are great. Like, I think sometimes it surprises people when I'm not just talking about like their latest project or just talking about like one specific thing because just like you i just like to get to know the people when i talk to them so you know like hey what are you interested in what is your background like what stuff you 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 like doing you know like stuff like that it's just and i guess that would be my last question then what are your hobbies well we've talked about a lot of my hobbies (laughs) right no i mean i get that you collect stuff and you do some reading and stuff like that but you have any other hobbies well like i said i do those uh do those very fun uh figure eyes and mini model kits as well as the uh, occasional lego if i can get my hands on one it really depends too because that's that's going super picky it's like oh this one looks cool two hundred dollars yeah maybe hold off on that (laughs) but no uh oh well i play a crazy amount of video games too which we Mm. didn't even talk about at all yeah no so like what do you like as far as video games just like everything else I consume, a little bit of everything. Okay, sure. I'm playing on this gaming laptop right now. I'm playing Sunset Overdrive with an Xbox controller because you can't play it with your keyboard. It's one of those <laughs> games that came out on the Xbox One. So it's like, yeah, I need a controller for this. It was only 20 bucks on Steam, but I was still like, yeah, I need a controller for this. So I got one. It glows green when it's on. It's nice. <laughs> My favorite color. But no, uh, on the Switch, I've been playing... Right now, it's just Atomic Crops. It's one of those fun uh, roguelike type of games where it changes every single time you play it. You don't get the same items every single run, that kind of thing. It's like farming simulation, but it's a shooter at the same time because it's all post-apocalyptic. I've been playing a lot of Fortnite, which I do get grief over, but it's a fun game. People Mm -hmm. really need to give it a shot. I know like when the stigma was there when it first came out, but it's like one of those games that like, when I started playing it a couple months back, right after I got the gaming laptop, it was when they had a skin for the Mandalorian, but you could also get a Predator skin that you had to actually beat the Predator to get that skin. And they have everything from Doctor Strange to Alien to, like I said, Predator. They get so many crazy licenses. It's insane. What else have I... I've been playing a lot of stuff, actually. Persona 5 Royale, which was really fun. I gotta go back and finish... Uh, oh, wow. I'm blanking on which Final Fantasy it was. It's one, uh, it's one of the more ancillary titles on the Switch. But yeah, I have... So I have a PlayStation, I have a Switch, and I have my gaming laptop. That's awesome, yeah. I get the whole, like, I play a little bit of everything, but usually most people gravitate towards a couple of different genres, maybe, or whatever. Like, for me, it's RPGs and fighting games. Like, those are my... It's hilarious. The most thinking kind of game and, like, the least thinking kind of game are, like, my two. (laughs) Like, it's all, like, reaction and instinct or I want to think really hard about this. Oh, my, my favorite game of all time is The Binding of Isaac. It's probably, in my opinion the ultimate roguelike and i've literally spent over a thousand hours in that thing by now 
and still get to even come anywhere close to beating it 100%. I know plenty of gamers who have. And I'm just like, how? How do you do that? How do you have such good luck? Because I am terrible at this. I have, that's where my uh, health bar tattoo is from. It's a little Legend of Zelda y, but it's, mm-hmm. it's full on Binding of Isaac. And there's a very not at all hidden uh, Kingdom Hearts heart on, on the health bar as well, <laughs> which is the whole podcast onto itself. Hey, Disney, Square Enix, let's get thrown into the blender and see what happens. Yeah, that story doesn't make any sense, but I still love that game. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was blown away when I first saw Kingdom Hearts. I was just like, this is the most insane con- concept ever. You have to look up Star... Oh, wow. wow. I can't think of the... So there's a... I'm going to look up the name of uh, the band real fast because you get a kick out of the uh, Star Bomb. It's, uh, it's the Game Grumps guys from YouTube, mm-hmm. but they have several actual songs about different video game plots, and they're always called the simple plot of whatever game they're talking about. They've done one for Metal Gear. They've done one for, uh, I forgot what the first one they did was, but the last one they did was the simple plot of Kingdom Hearts. And it's so funny because it's just like, obviously the joke of these songs is these plots are convoluted and broken as, Mm -hmm. as all hell. So it's one of those types of things. And it's so funny. I would highly recommend that song because it's very, very funny. All right. Well, very cool. Yeah. I mean, Eric, it was great talking with you today. And before we go, why don't you let people know where they can find you? So if you want to check out Why I Love Comics, uh, you can type it into, I I think it's still on Stitcher. It's definitely on iTunes podcasts, as well as if you just type in Love Comics. uh, See, this way I always just go look up, look up my Twitter at at just Eric Eric Radcliffe, Love Comics. Yeah, I'm not going to find it to the RSS feed. But if you look up Why I Love Comics um, podcast, Love Comics podcast, it should be the first thing that pop up, pops up, I hope. New Comic Day is just newcomicday.net. And yeah, you can very easily find everything under me on my Twitter, which is just at Eric Reckliff. And I think, what's my Instagram? I always forget. I know it's like eriddler87. That's right. I was trying to remember, but I was like, I just type in Eric and it pops up the suggestion. So I don't need to worry about it. But yeah, Eric, thank you so much for coming on the show to to talk with us today. Thanks for having me, my friend. I'm looking forward to hopefully being on that Warehouse 13 episode. (laughs) I think you will be because I think you're the only other person I know who's seen both Warehouse 13 and the librarians, or at least who wants to also talk on a podcast. Yeah, here's hoping we get more. <laughs> so that's it for the interview. We hope that you liked it, but you can let us know in a variety of different ways. One way is to email us at everything at 42cast.com. Another way is to go to our website at 42cast.com. Another way is to go to our Facebook, facebook.com slash 42cast. Another way is to tweet to us at 42cast or go on our Instagram and comment at 42cast. You can also leave us reviews on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts. The more reviews we get on Apple Podcasts, the more Apple will promote the show. So definitely appreciate having as many reviews as possible. But yeah, let us know how this worked for you. Do you want to hear more about our cast? Uh, Is there a particular cast member that you'd be interested in having me interview? Just let me know and we'll see what we can do about it. The other things that I want to mention, ESO Network Patreon, a way of helping all the shows on the network get access to some early episodes of some shows, exclusive episodes of some shows, and a whole exclusive podcast at a certain tier. So check that out at patreon.com slash ESO network. You can see all the tiers, and if any of them sound interesting and you have the funds to contribute, we would definitely appreciate it. I also want to mention Time Streams, which is my podcast with my friend Juliet, where we're going through all of Doctor Who from the beginning. We're commenting on it, and you don't need to watch the show to understand the episode because we explain everything for you. You definitely get something more out of it if you do follow along with us, but I know how hard it is to get classic Doctor Who in the state, so it's okay. And I also mentioned, I already mentioned Legendary Forces at the top of the show, so I think I don't need to really bring that up there. Basically, that's the show we're talking about Star Wars material, we're reviewing it, We're doing it basically in chronological order based on release, and after we review it, we talk about just how it informs our understanding of the Star Wars universe, sort of the context around which it was created, and, uh, you know, talk about whether or not it's worth you checking out, both because 
Is it important? And a lot of this early stuff isn't because it's no longer canon, but sometimes even the non-canon stuff contributes ideas that later find their way into canon materials, but also from a quality standpoint. So sometimes something isn't canon, but it's a really good story, and so you want to read it that way anyway. So we sort of like look through all of that and sort of tell you what we think about that media. But yeah, I think that's it for this week. Join us back next week when Camrish Johnson will not be joining us. And until then, this is Nathan signing off. You have been listening to the 42 cast copyright 2021. Got a question for the ultimate answer? Contact us at everything at 42 cast.com. Theme music is sharper swords by Brandon Ellis. Check out more of his work at www.cityfires.com. The 42 cast is a proud member of the ESO network. This has been a broadcast of the ESO network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.